You're listening to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. This is episode number 98. What's a sustainable development goal and why does it matter in anti-human trafficking? Welcome to the Indian Human Trafficking Podcast. My name is Dave Stahoviak. And my name is Sandy Morgan. And this is the show where we empower you to study the issues, be a voice, and make a difference in ending human trafficking. And Sandy, our listeners will probably remember that back on episode 94, which was just a few episodes ago, we had Deb O'Hara Raskowski, who is was representing the United Nations on the show. And uh, some really neat things have happened since then, and in particular in relation to you and the Global Center for Women and Justice. And in fact, it, uh, it resulted in you flying out to New York fairly recently and speaking at the UN. And so I thought it would be a great opportunity for us to spend a few minutes here today to talk about this in the framework of you know, sustainable development and and looking at it from a holistic perspective too. So first, you know, tell me about how this all happened. What did you do? What were, what brought you to the UN? Well, when you're out on the East Coast, you run into a lot more people who have partnerships at the United Nations. And many people aren't really actually aware that headquarters for the United Nations is in New York City. And it's pretty impressive. And 193 nations belong to the UN. And at this particular event that I participated in, it was part of the sustainable, well, it was part of the Commission for Social Development. And through meeting people like Deb O'Hara, I was invited to be part of a human trafficking panel that the consortium of anti-trafficking NGOs were putting together during the Commission for Social Development 53rd session. And it was the only human trafficking panel during the session, and it was a 10-day session with 91 countries participating. So I was pretty excited to have the opportunity to speak to people that would have impact in places I may never go. Mm. And I, I'm curious what um, what did they they see that you uniquely brought? Because I know there there are certainly many uh, wonderfully educated, great contributors to this movement that are on the East Coast too. Um, you, you flew across the country, uh, took a couple days, and and you know for an, for an hour appearance on uh, with the with the committee. Um, why you? What what did they specifically want to bring from the Global Center for Women and Justice and and your background specifically that was helpful? I think I think because of the more holistic approach and the fact that we have a long track record of training, um, the history of our podcast, the courses that we teach at Vanguard. So there was a sense mm. that um, the approach is a very studied and and well founded approach to anti trafficking, thoughtful and not just an awareness campaign, but there turned out to be a rather unique aspect that I brought all the way from California. Oh, how so? And I would like to claim that I had strategically thought this through at the very beginning, but I didn't. But I realized once I did my homework, because you know, we always are talking about study the issues, so we yep. actually do that ourselves. 
when I began to look at the history of the Commission for Social Development, and I began to understand the agenda for the 53rd um, session of the Commission for Social Development. And I'm repeating that because I want our listeners to remember how important this commission is in this um, decade. Well, and that that actually brings a question for me even before you go further, because I, I, I'm not aware, I was not aware of the commission before you went there. And I suspect probably most people are not, uh, even if they're familiar with the UN. Could you maybe say a little bit about what is the commission and, and what's its role within the UN and then its larger influence on the world? Well, they're very concerned with how social development impacts human rights, um, quality of life, access to education, resources, and the the opportunities that you and I may take for granted are not necessarily common in many other parts of the world. Many people are in extreme poverty. Many people do not have access to clean water yet. Um, people who live on a dollar or or less than two dollars a day, what is their quality quality of life? So when you're thinking about social development, and and this was kind of the 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 transition conversation that was happening in the first few days of of the social development convening, they started talking about millennial development goals. And those MDGs were to be finished. We were supposed to accomplish those by 2015. Well, we only have a few months left of 2015. And on this um, podcast, we've talked about MDG3 to empower women and girls that's just one of those goals. And there are still millions of girls who are um, not empowered, who are living substandard lives, do not have access to education, and the sun preference. Well, we won't even go down that road because we're going to focus on this different approach. So the MDGs were much more um, rooted in a, in a human rights approach. Social development is looking, and I'm not um, uh, an expert on this kind of socioeconomic content, but from my limited understanding, I recognize that if you grow a, a community from a socioeconomic perspective, it's going to be better for everyone in that community. And if there are options in that community, and this is the part where I saw the amazing silver lining on this, the idea that if kids have options and dreams for a career in their own community, because the economy is healthy and growing and there are opportunities, they're not going to be vulnerable to the kind of fraudulent job offers that they get from another country. Mm. So... The idea of where does human trafficking um, connect with the social development um, convention is very significant. So because I was had lots of time to read on the plane, I had downloaded all of the previous sessions. Six sessions had already occurred before we got there. And I read through everything, and one document mentioned forced um, 
child soldiers, but that was the only mention of human trafficking, of slavery, and labor trafficking or sex trafficking. And so connecting the dots between this kind of development and reducing the risk of being trafficked, it seemed like such a great opportunity. I was excited. Oh, interesting. So the opportunity to bring the perspective that we talk about a lot here on the show, which is to look for the things that may not be apparent and obvious at first glance, but that if we really ask and think about some of the strategies and resources that are there can really make a huge difference on, especially the prevention piece. Exactly, exactly. So one of the things um, that I was most excited about because I'm from California, California passed the Supply Chain Transparency Act in 2010. Yeah, we talked about that on the show. What an amazing tool and model for this convention to begin to look at. Because, and I think that was podcast number 17, if you want to go back and, and look at that. The idea that if we do a supply chain audit before we purchase products, then we make choices that are going to be more sustainable for the people in those communities that are actually going to create development opportunities in those communities. And people have asked me since then when I get all excited and tell them what I was doing, well, why does that matter? Well, here's the reason why it matters. The MDGs, the Millennial Development Goals, end 2015. Guess what the next goal set is going to be? Mm. Hmm. Sustainable development goals. Uh-huh. So we're going to look at models for long-term change that is going to reduce marginalization and vulnerability and create um, more opportunities in regions where people are living in poverty and there's great inequality. And it will naturally become um, an environment where the risk for human trafficking is going to be reduced. And so that's what it means for your appearance and the commission and talking about the the strategies and, and the partnerships that you were talking about to someone who'd be on the other side of the world. Yes, yes. So I I went through and I talked about the Supply Chain Transparency Act and what that means to consumers in a in the West, in the first world, if you will, and what that means to the producers in countries where people are more um, more vulnerable to being exploited, either for labor or for commercial sex. And with the Supply Chain Transparency Act, that means that I as a consumer, as a responsible consumer, have the right to ask businesses that are selling products in my community, where did that product come from? And was slave labor used in that? Now, our Department of Labor produces an annual report now that lists products that come from countries where children or forced labor are producing those products. Mm. Um, But how am I supposed to find out if my purchases are actually driving demand for more slavery? 
And the idea that we do a lot of awareness campaigns, we print posters, uh, we we warn. I I told them when I was in Ukraine, I on my way back to the airport, I saw the big billboard, and someone in the car translated for me that it it warned young people about accepting overseas jobs, that they could end up becoming slaves, and yet. Over and over again, I spoke to young people who said, I was willing to take the risk because I had nothing to risk. I had nothing to give up. What if I made it? Well, if we are developing socioeconomic communities that are strong, there is something to give up. There is a risk. And so the likelihood of being as vulnerable to those recruiting strategies is going to be reduced. Really does all come back to the economics of it, Sandy. And we, you know, we don't necessarily first think of human trafficking as an economic issue, but when you get under the surface of the things we see in the media and the news and the stories of survivors, but when you get under the surface of, of the where the causes are that a lot of this is driven economically, if not most of it. And so, like you said, having that, having that incentive to stay or to not take that risky trip or, you know, someone offers that unbelievable opportunity. Those are often the entry points for people entering a life that they never imagined they would be entering. Well, and, and seeing what you bring is, you bring the human factor back into my discussion because if you just root this in the socioeconomic um, parameters, um, it's not really enough. We do need those human rights values. Mm-hmm. and But we need to be looking at the cost of a product from a, a more holistic perspective. So in that Department of Labor report, um, on child and forced labor, they have 353 goods that are produced um, and brought into the U.S. in their most recent report. And it goes from blueberries to cotton to diamonds, and all of those things are sold in my city. So it's kind of insidious, the idea that human trafficking can actually be very invisible. Mm. It's on the shelves in my store, And I don't even, I'm oblivious and I feel guilt-free until I start thinking about what is the actual cost of a product that I buy plenty of because it fits so well in my budget. And maybe the actual cost of that $7.99 t-shirt was a child who worked in the fields and didn't attend school to harvest that cotton. That's too big a price from it, a global economy perspective. It is, and and you've certainly changed my thinking on this, Sandy, over the years of when we go to the store. I mean, there, we, we can't prop- possibly process everything that's out there, but there are certain things that, you know, as we learn about and we become aware of, we can make different choices, like, you know, chocolate, for example. I've never bought chocolate the same way ever since <laughs> you and I first talked about chocolate and thinking through, okay, you know, where did this come from? And, and because we know that that that's something we have a lot of awareness about now, but there's many other things too, that if we take the time to really um, think about the transparency and do our, do our homework on it, it really can make a big difference on the demand for, for those products. And we 
have the influence then to change the economics of it. And and speaking of of changing, Sandy, you, you, I know you mentioned to me before we started recording, and I also see in your notes from the UN too that we need a new lens. And I'm curious what you mean by that of of us of us needing a new lens. What's um what do we need to do to look differently through through something? Well, it's pretty easy for all of us to get mad at the bad guys because we we can easily identify that guy. He's a villain because he's got a whole group of slaves and he's driving a truck and driving them out to the fields to to harvest blueberries. Or or this guy is a bad guy because he's he's taking these kids out to the cotton plantation in Uzbekistan. But we don't see any culpability in our own um, lifestyle. Mm. And so for me, um, my new lens is really kind of the first world lens. I, I get frustrated, you know, um, gas prices went up again. Mm-hmm. Did you notice that? I did. And, and so I'm bit. thinking yeah. about the, the bottom line for me. And then I, I got a little upset about um, a, a household repair that we had to make. And, but at the end of the day, with my struggles and my stresses that are, my life is revolving around, I still bought gas and put it in my car. I didn't miss even one meal. And I made it to work and the doctor's appointment. My um, my husband was asked to to fly up to help somebody move in the family, and he did that. And we didn't miss anything from our everyday life. So when I I start looking at my life, and then looking at um, a child's life in another place, that is part of the supply chain for a product that I'm purchasing, I do have a social responsibility, which that brings me back to why I love this convention. I've bookmarked their page now because I'm so excited about it. And I didn't know that they've had 53 sessions, but I'm going to be following them because the idea of social development um, requires a sense of of person personal value and ethics in how we do economic development so the social becomes part of it and to come in and do a social program without any kind of economic support it's when the money is gone from that grant everything is probably going to go into disrepair and fade away to do an economic project without the social support for it, it's not going to trickle down to the kids, to the women, to the most marginalized in that community. So it is really looking at all of this from a very holistic perspective. And 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 like you said, Sandy, looking at the long term too, not just you know, what are we going to do today and tomorrow and this year, but um, but but that this is really a sustainable speaking of sustainable a, a sustainable organization and, and and a group of people who have made a long term commitment. And you know that kind of we can kind of flash back a little bit to last um, podcast with Alexis um, talking about ten ten ten. And there are some things we can do for ten minutes. We can do our homework and figure out what products to buy that will drive demand for socially responsible products. But over the long haul. We do have to make a 10-year commitment 
to sustainable development. It's going to be um, it's going to be slow and steady to make a significant difference that will last. I I think more and more you're going to start hearing rhetoric that requires us to be more responsible. And when people ask me about that, you know, I want to put a a warning label on the package that says um, uh, legalism always leads to hypocrisy. Mm. So if, if you, if you ask me about, did I check um, the cotton in the sweater that I'm wearing right now? I, I have no idea I looked at the label and I saw what their supply chain audit um, report looks like. So I chose this particular company because they are auditing their supply chain and they're trying to do better at that, but they can't, they can't provide an answer for me for everything. And I don't think there is a company that can provide a hundred percent supply chain audit. Nope. And you would, you would just paralyze yourself doing analysis and trying to track down information and you would never make a any meaningful contribution in any other way of just doing analysis paralysis so um, I think I think that's a smart strategy Sandy of you know um, take a few minutes to do the things that are now easier to do of doing a little bit of research of like you said looking into a clothing line um, you may not know with a particular piece of fabric Mm-hmm. But you certainly know with a company and with a clothing line, generally speaking, um, we now have the transparency to know what kind of due diligence are they doing, what generally, how to generally do they approach these concerns. And we can have a lot more confidence than we would otherwise if we just, you know, did that without any research of that we're not adding to the economic challenges here in 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 this issue. And and it is so complex. And so starting somewhere of beginning, like, you know, I did when I first yep. started shopping with just right. chocolate. I'm like, okay, you know, this is a grocery store <laughs> and I go. could spend weeks here thinking about this, but you know, um, that's not going to fly with my family <laughs> if I'm here for weeks, right? At the grocery store. So uh, here's one thing I know about now and I'm educated about. So on this particular thing, I will make some different choices. And then as I get comfortable with that, then I'll take something else and I'll say, okay, you know, what is, what does it look like now with coffee? And you know, what can I do to educate myself there? And so, um, so I, and I, it's funny you, you mentioned the clothing. I had not thought to do that yet, but now oh. that you mentioned that I probably will the next time I go and well, look for, for shopping. And as a, as an institution making responsible choices last year, um, staff brought me, um, a template or a, a model for a tote bag for our insured justice conference. And I asked, what company does it come from? And they looked it up and I said, did anybody check their supply chain audit? Mm. Oh, that's okay. I'll do it. So I did the audit. I, I went online to look for their audit. I didn't actually see a supply chain audit. Now I'm, I've been doing this a little longer, so I asked more questions. So I filled out the contact here form and eventually I got kind of an auto response that said we have a zero tolerance to slavery. Okay, but what about your supply chain audit? And so finally I actually talked to someone who said exactly the same thing. I'm sure that they were reading it on the screen. We have a zero tolerance to slavery. Said, so how do you do your supply chain audit? How do you find out where the cotton comes from? from to make these tote bags. And it was quiet at the other end of the phone. And he said, oh, we don't do that. 
Mm. We don't ask where it came from. So I'm against slavery. I have a zero tolerance, but I didn't ask where it came from. Yeah. Uh, we didn't have tote bags. We just didn't have it. And that's kind of the thing we have to get comfortable saying, okay, we're not going to have a tote bag. Because to find one at that short notice, I couldn't find one that was um, had a good supply chain audit. So those are choices that are going to cost us. We're either not going to have something or we're going to pay more for it. Yeah. First world problem. Go yeah. without, pay more. Ultimately, because I do want to circle back to it's more than about the economic it is about the social development and economics is part of social. Um, one of the things that happens because not just because of human trafficking, but because there are no options, there is no future, there's no career, there's no way to, to support my family. I'm going to be more vulnerable to being recruited to an overseas job that may or may not be legitimate and many times that's what we talk about when we're talking about human trafficking. We talk about the fraud aspect. We talk about debt bondage. We talk about horrible abuse. But even beyond that, the idea that people from your community, your marginalized community, are, are taken out of the equation there, that's a brain drain because your youngest, your brightest, your most ambitious for wanting a future – they're the ones that are going to leave and they are the future in your community. So social development is critical to um, building sustainable development goals that keep young people in their communities so that they can contribute to the whole community's good. Well, and Sandy, this is just an, another example of a partnership and the recognition that I know we really think about a lot at the center and you think a lot about personally is how can we build the partnerships that will help all of this to um, to raise awareness and for us to make real change here in anti-human trafficking work and um, and and we can't do it all ourselves uh, as a center or as an individual mm -hmm. or even as a large group even you know as a group the size of the UN. Um, has limitations on what they can do uh, as an organization. And so it really is incumbent upon us to form these partnerships, to look for the opportunities, to bring the unique perspective, like you said, you could bring in this case, um, and to and to do it in such a way that it really gets us closer to that long-term goal we all want, which is to see less and less and less of this in the world uh, where this becomes a very, very rare thing indeed. We're, we are so committed to discovering that they're going to launch new sustainable development goals that next year in 2016, right after they launch that, our Insured Justice Conference will focus on what those SDGs, those sustainable development goals, will look like in the battle ending human trafficking. Oh, fabulous, fabulous. So a long-term commitment from us as well, too. That's right. In our conference, uh, very exciting stuff. And Sandy, I'm, uh, I'm just really so pleased to always talk with you every couple of weeks here. I know I learn a lot every time that we have a conversation about, um, about what's going on out there. And 
Uh, and I know that our audience does too. And and we are coming up on a pretty big milestone. Oh, that's right. For the show here in uh, in just a, just under a month, really, is going to be our hundredth episode for the Ending Human Trafficking podcast, which uh, is awesome. And I I hope that we have lots of opportunity to continue to build partnerships and continue to show long term. And I also hope, Sandy, that at some point we can end the show because we don't need it anymore. That there would be that would be a wonderful thing for both mm. of us, and we will find other things to do, of course. Um, but uh, as we all know, the reality is we're not anywhere close to that right now. Um, but a lot of work for us to do, and so we're gonna we're gonna do something a little different for the hundredth episode. Uh, we will have a little mini celebration uh, too, of course, with some some sustainably sourced something chocolate. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> we'll throw some in the studio here. Um, but more importantly, we'd really like to bring in the voices of the listening community community into that show. And so I think that what we've decided to do is to open that show up to questions that you have as a listener to the show of things. Um, maybe it's something you've heard us talk about on a past episode and you'd like us to go into more in depth on. Uh, maybe it's something you haven't heard us talk about on the show yet. Uh, maybe there's something going on in the news, or perhaps you're just wondering how you may personally be able to be uh, an even greater contributor to the conversation we always have around studying the issues, being a voice, and making a difference in ending human trafficking. So um, we would be thrilled if you would send us a question, and you can do that a couple of ways. Uh, one is you can certainly call us, and uh, you can either chat with us personally, or you can leave it on our our uh, voicemail line, and that is at 714-966-6360. And the other great way to send in a question is just to go to um, send an email to gcwj at vanguard.edu and uh, get your questions in now because we will be putting together the show here within the next week or two and we want to make sure that we can consider your question. So please do that. Sandy, I know we're going to be um, asking folks who attend the Ensure Justice yes. Conference for questions as well. So uh, so that'll be a ton of fun, which I can't uh, can't wait to see what people ask. And um, you know, it's, it'll be great to hear our community uh, here as well and see what people want to want to know from us. Okay, sounds great. Right. One hundred. Yeah, sure. wow. yeah, exactly. And uh, and and you know, in addition to that, we're always open to suggestions you have on future show topics. So maybe you want us to tackle an entire show on someone or, or something, or maybe we should talk to someone that has uh, been a real leader in ending human trafficking. Let us know. That's fair game as well, too. Thanks, and, Dave, for always being my co-host. This is great. Oh, it's always a pleasure. And I, uh, I am just thrilled that we're approaching episode 100 and that there's such a great library here now of resources for people who care about ending this issue. And, and we know you do, too. Thank you so much for taking a moment to listen. And we look forward to seeing you online in the meantime in the next two weeks. We'll be back in two weeks for episode 99 and send in your question to us for episode right. 100. GCWJ at vanguard.edu. And we'll talk to you in two weeks. Thanks, Andy. Bye, Dave.